It's so good to get to be with you again this afternoon, this evening. It's so thankful for that. Go ahead and find your in your Bibles. Please don't stand yet, but turn to Ruth chapter 2. If you would, please, Ruth and chapter number 2. So Ruth chapter 2, we're just going to read the first three verses. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. The scripture often records things from the perspective of the individual that is being discussed. And the word hap has this idea of happen chance. Or some would say today, man, she just lucked out. But this is what we know. Sometimes what we view as luck is actually the providence of God at work. That ought to be an encouragement to you. And then it says this, who was the kindred of Elimelech. Uh, the thought is this, limited initiative, limited initiative. Father, thanks again for the time. I've loved the singing just so much about being here today. I'm thankful for it. Thank you for the time today with Pastor and Mrs. Terry. Sure do appreciate them. And then appreciate the church family that is here, Lord. Uh, West Valley is going to be having services in just a little bit, and I pray for your blessing on them. And thank you for a church family that's so supportive of us. Pray that you'd meet with them. And God, I just thank you that you're big enough to be in Idaho and in Tulsa tonight. And Lord, wherever your people are assembling, that you would meet with them and help us tonight to know that you've talked to us. And, and God, the desire isn't that I be remembered, but that your truth be known and use this, even if it's just in a fractional way to help your work in the life of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. I really enjoy and I try to seek out stories of inspiration. I love stories of people overcoming significant odds and significant challenges and, and through determination and creativity and commitment and, and just continuing to grind it out, they see some amazing things happen. I, just because I use an illustration doesn't mean I know of or endorse everything in a person's life and I hope you'll give me that liberty. But not too long ago, there was a young woman that I came across that's really an inspiration, especially the first half of her life. Now I say young woman because like me, she is in her forties. And so I just want to make that clear. I am still a young dude. Hallelujah. And I'll still be young when I'm in my sixties. Amen. But this young woman is named Liz Murray and, and she was born in an inner city situation, just full of drugs and crime. And her parents early on were addicted to drugs and then eventually contracted diseases from that drug use. Over time, her mom would eventually die and her dad would enter a home 
homeless shelter. She tells stories of when she was nine, when children should be able to feel safe, when they should know that they're loved. She talks about just finding ice chips and eating them so that she could have the sensation of eating food. She was raised in some really unimaginable difficulty unless you've ever experienced something like that for yourself. And then when she's 15, she finds herself completely homeless without a mom and dad. She knows that she has to do something. And so rather than living her life angry, rather than blaming, rather than feeling sorry for herself, she finds a job as a door-to-door salesman. And then because of this tenacious work ethic, she ends up breaking company records for the amount that she was selling. Over time, she would continue to work her way through high school and just finding places to sleep. And sometimes someone would help her out. Sometimes she would find really strange places that you'd never think that would work to sleep in. But she she continued to push through. And again, rather than making excuses, rather than blaming, rather than living angry, she chose to see the thing that she could do, take that initiative, and eventually she was accepted into Harvard and then so many doors have opened since then. And how her life has been is so much different than how it started for this reason. She took limited initiative. Ruth in our text is in a very dire situation. As the story goes, Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Chilion, they leave Judah and they go to the land of Moab and there their two sons, Malon and Chilion, uh, meet Ruth and Orpah and respectively they marry them. Then over time, Malon, Chilion and Elimelech die and Orpah makes the decision to return to her gods and to her people. But there There is something different about Ruth and she makes the promise because I believe she gives a statement of faith in chapter one. This woman knew God as much as any anyone could know God. Then she knew him and believed in him. And so she tells Naomi, who at the time was very bitter and very hopeless. By the way, bitterness will make you hopeless. Bitter people are not optimistic people. No, it's much easier to remain bitter, but if you want to be optimistic, you're gonna have to let God do something with that bitterness. And so you have Ruth who is determined to remain with Naomi. Naomi who is just riddled with pain and loss and heartache and resentment. And and that's demonstrated when she returns to, when she returns to Bethlehem. Along with Ruth, she tells her her countrymen and women, don't call me Naomi, which means sweetness. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. She was full of anguish. And so they're in a dire circumstance. They are there back in Judah, back in the Bethlehem area. They They have no husband. They have no prospect of provision. Their hearts are breaking. Naomi has lost her husband and two sons. Ruth has lost her brother in law, her father in law and her husband. And as we mentioned this morning about women in that culture and in that time, finding ways to be provided for was very, very difficult. And it seemed as though this was a hopeless situation. But I love this about God, that he anticipates the difficulty that people will find themselves in. And he makes ways for even the most downtrodden to have a way out. And you go back and you study the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy 
economy. God had a system whereby the extreme impoverished could be have a way to have basic needs met. Those who had fields, when they were reaping those fields, the reapers were not to gather up every single fragment, but they were to whatever just naturally fell onto the ground through the reaping process. They were to leave it there. And then those who would come along, they could, have, if they were poor, they could come and they could pick up the fragments. Well, here are Ruth and Naomi, two hurting and impoverished widows. And they have very few options, but they do have one option. Ruth can go out in this field. It's not easy. It's going to be hard. It's not, from her perspective, please get this, is not a long-term answer. But it is an answer for today. It's the thing that she knows she needs to do right now. So I love this about her. She can't plan for the next 10 years. This isn't some kind of 10-year retirement plan. She doesn't know how she's going to survive to the next year. What she knows is there is an opportunity for today. There is an opportunity of provision for today. This is the initiative that I can take in this moment. It's limited, but it's the initiative that I can take. I can't fix all our financial woes. I can't replace my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, and my husband. I can't take away all of this grief and all of this loss, but I can take take this initiative, I can go out in this field. She doesn't wait to be asked or told. She recognizes the need. She recognizes her ability. And can I say it this way? I believe Ruth recognized her responsibility to take initiative. It's very limited, but she still takes this limited initiative. She doesn't neglect what she can do because of the difficulty of her circumstances. And she doesn't neglect what she can do because of the uncertainty of her future. She sees the initiative, however limited it is, and she takes it. I hope you're getting this. It's the thing right in front of her. It's not 10 years down the road, not five, not one, not one month down the road. It's the initiative that I know I'm supposed to take today. She takes that initiative, literally. If this platform is Ruth's story, it's this. That's what it is. It's that limited. In, in, in the scope of her circumstances, this platform doesn't even sum it up. You'd have to put me on the backside of the property. And then again, it's just, it's this. And she doesn't know where this takes her. She doesn't know what this turns into. She just knows this is the initiative I'm supposed to take. And even though it's limited, I'm still going to take it. Well, what happens next is amazing. She ends up in the field belonging to Boaz, who's a kinsman redeemer. And then over time, you know what happens. I trust, go and read the book of Ruth. It's not a long book, but this is, this is my favorite part about Ruth. Not only does she end up marrying Boaz, not only does she end up benefiting from his protection and his wealth, not only does she find a man that genuinely loves her and cares for her and wants to do good for her, but this is the amazing thing about God. He takes this foreign Moabite woman and through her relationship with, the, with, with Boaz, she becomes a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. 
<laughs> no, no, look, look. You are a poor foreign girl. And you do one thing that you know you're supposed to do. And God opens the floodgates of his ability and his intervention and his providence and his purpose. And he sets you on a course that ends up, you are eternally a part of God's redemptive plan. This is, this is amazing. You know what that's called? Limitless intervention. It's when God does things that you can't because you were willing to do the one thing you could. Limited initiative opens the door to God's limitless intervention. Now, here's the, here's the problem. There are a couple of dangers that we can fall into. We don't take the initiative that's right in front of us. Number one, because it's hard. No, when, when you're dealing with the, these kinds of situations, I am not. Listen, it's easy to preach from hindsight. It's easy to look back at someone's story and say, man, praise the Lord. And we take these steps of faith and we do this. And it's just fantastic. But, but in the moments when we find ourselves in the end of a chapter one in Ruth or the beginning of a chapter two, I'm not trying to minimize the desperate and overwhelming difficulty of her circumstances. And I'm certainly not trying to minimize what situation situations you might find yourself in tonight and what heartache you might be dealing with and what regret and what grief and what grief and and what hopeless you might be feeling tonight I'm not trying to minimize it and the truth is limited initiative is just hard not only, here's one of the reasons it's hard, because she was surrounded, and, and I understand it's one person, but isn't it true that one person can have an incredible influence and effect upon our life? She's, she's, her primary human influence or company is a, is a jaded and bitter woman in Naomi. And I'm not even mad at Naomi about that, but she's just hurting and it would have been easy for Ruth to buy into her resentment or her heartache or her loss or her disappointment. And there would have been all sorts of emotions. It would have been easy for Ruth to be affected by that desperation. It was hard. Not only that, but think about this. It, it was hard because sometimes taking limited initiative can feel degrading. What do, you, what do you mean? Well, I shouldn't have to do that. No, th this woman had been married and was doing well. Now you know what she's gonna be doing? She's gonna be out there with the poor, in the hot sun, doing sweaty, back-breaking back -breaking work, picking up someone else's fragments, just hoping to get enough to survive. And sometimes the initiative that we need to take, we think, well, that's just below me. I, I really shouldn't have to do that. Initiative is hard. Limited initiative is hard. Here's the other thing. She didn't, she didn't the, the danger that can limit us taking the limited initiative that we need to is because the, the outcome isn't certain from our perspective. 
Okay, again, hindsight is a beautiful thing, but please understand this. The truth is, you don't know how it turns out. Sometimes God's people get really careless writing blank checks on God's behalf that on God's behalf that God himself doesn't necessarily write. No, look, if it look, okay, here's what I mean. God has promised to provide all your need according to his riches and glory. That's a really big account, but he doesn't tell you how he's going to do it. And he's not obligated to do it the way that you want him to or the way that you think he should. He has made a promise. He will be faithful to that promise. And God is an overwhelmingly generous God. But that doesn't mean he's going to do it the way that we want to. And we've got to be real about this tonight if we're to be helped. And that is limited initiative. One of the biggest challenges is that we don't know what the outcome is. You know what it seems like, though, about Ruth? She just took this limited initiative without some kind of self-centered expectation. She did it for this reason. It's what I can do, and it's what I should do. And so I'm going to take this limited initiative, and God opens the door to his limitless intervention. This happens throughout Scripture. Let me just read you some names. Noah. Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Daniel, over and over, a young boy's lunch in the hands of Jesus, Peter stepping out on the water, a thief. Oh man, think about the limited initiative of a thief dying on the cross. You talk about limitless intervention, salvation on your, essentially your deathbed. Oh man, look, I believe people can get saved right before they die. You say, why do you believe that? Because it happened in the Bible. And you say, well, he never got baptized or went through a new members class. Right. (laughs) And aren't you thankful you don't have to? No, you should go through them. If that's the place where you are, and we have those things at West Valley, but let's not make salvation something that it's not. You're not saved because of what you do. Listen, I know it's a Sunday evening service, but we need to be reminded of these things. We're saved because of our limited initiative of believing in Jesus, and he opens up his limitless intervention and makes us joint <laughs> joint heirs with him. Oh, man. How awesome is God that I simply acknowledge I'm a sinner and I can't do anything about it. And then you make me a son of heaven. Oh, man. Look, this is really solid. I got the good end of this deal. No, we ought to be singing great as the Lord. We ought to be lifting him up. We ought to be worshiping and appraising and adoring him and honoring him and celebrating him because the limited initiative of believing in Jesus opens the door to the limitless intervention of God's salvation. It's wonderful. So here's the challenge tonight. Where do you need to be taking, lim- taking limited initiative, but you're not? For one of two reasons. It's hard, or you don't know the outcome. Look, you could be robbing yourself and your generations of what God can do. Look, God was going to get his redemptive work done. Period. Don't, please don't misunderstand. Don't hear, this is what I say at home, don't hear what I'm not saying. 
God was going to get it done. But Ruth and her generations could have missed out on being a part of that. She does, look, it's as simple as going out into a field. And it opens the door to becoming a part of what only God can do. So can I just talk to you as a brother who cares? What initiative are you not taking because it's hard or because you don't know the outcome? It's amazing what God can do with passing out a track. Not just a track. Look, we make, we make witnessing so much more complicated than it actually is. No, and I'm telling you, if we would be kind to people and we wouldn't try to rush them and bully them, if we just learn how to be nice to people and talk to people, there are people here in this area that still want something. They don't know what it is, but there are people who want something. And I understand this is a churched area, but there's a whole lot of church people that need Jesus. And then look, we don't look, it's not my, I'm not picking at anybody. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of people going to a lot of different places who need what is going on at Eastland Baptist Church. No, they need it. They, they need the sound doctrine. They need the love. They need the honoring of God. They need the fellowship of believers that genuinely care about one another. They need the biblical teaching and the preaching. They need the praise of God. They need to know how fresh it feels. Doesn't it, just on a good Sunday, does it just feel fresh, like fresh air in your life? You come in on a Sunday. You come in on a Wednesday. That's the work of Almighty God. There are people who need that. Here's what you got to do. Take limited initiative. Hey, can I just, can I just invite you, a coworker that you know God has put on your heart, uh, a neighbor. I mean, you'll stand out in the front yard and you'll talk about sports and you'll talk about the weather and depending on who the neighbor is, you might talk about politics. <laughs> And no, can, can I ask it? Can I ask you a question? I, I, I'm, I'm genuinely just trying to help. When's the last time you invited somebody to church? I think it's okay for us to ask ourselves that question. You know, I have to ask myself that question. I don't ask that from a place of superiority or condemnation. Well, you know, I'm not the pastor. I'm not one of the staff. Being a witness for Jesus is not about your position in the church. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you understand there are people that you have access to that Pastor Durrell will never have access to. And there are people in whose life, young people get this, there are people in whose life God has given you a voice that adults in this room don't have a voice. And you don't have to have all the answers. And it's okay to tell someone, listen, Christians have lost this ability and humility to say, I don't know all the answers, but I would love to meet with you about it. I'd love to take you out for coffee or I'd love for you to meet brother Andrew or meet brother Daniel or meet brother John or meet Miss Rochelle or someone else. And let's just try to get to the bottom of these things. Take some limited initiative to reach someone. Oh, I wonder if there's someone that you've quit praying for. It's easy to give up when it doesn't change. It's easy to give up when we don't see immediate results. Sometimes we give up on a situation in our family and we just quit praying about it. 
No, I understand God's not going to answer everything the way that we want to, but I do believe this. You have not because you ask not. And sometimes we quit asking prematurely. All I can do is pray. Whoa, whoa. Say what? You mean all you can do is access the ear of the God of heaven who formed the worlds with his word, who opened up the field of Boaz to a Moabitish woman and brought her into the lineage of Jesus Christ. The only one you can talk to is the one who parted the Red Sea and stopped the mouths of lions and came to this earth through a virgin and died on a cross bearing your sin and rose again. All you can do is talk to him. That sounds like a pretty big initiative that you could be taking. Yeah, we stop praying because we just don't see it. Maybe the initiative is you need to admit to your parents that you've lied to them. I love this about, about God. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. I'm just saying, if, if pastor says something different than this, then you listen to him. But you can't be right with God if you're lying to your parents. You say, I, I, I want God to forgive me. Get it right with your mom and dad. Yeah, look, look, you have a church family that loves you. Man, the, he, he that confesses his sin is going to find grace and mercy. The Bible tells us this. And, and I love it, man. We're like, yeah, man, the teenagers need it. But you know who else needs it? Might be some husbands and wives need to have a conversation tonight. Might, might be some ladies that need to talk to their husbands. Might need to some husbands that need to talk to their ladies. Might be some brothers and sisters that need to talk to one another. How about this? How about the initiative of forgiveness? I'm telling you, church family, we... We make following Jesus so much more complicated than it needs to be. You know what Jesus said over and over to his disciples? Love one another. Love one another. No, there's more to it than that. I understand you got to have certain things in place and you have certain lines and certain processes. I get that and I'm not afraid of that. But if we want to get down to the heart of the gospel, it is to love one another. And we get so excited. We get so excited about someone coming to know Jesus Christ. And then yet over time, we can get really hostile with one another over things that really don't make that much of a difference. And then sometimes you are legitimately hurt. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you will miss out on the limitless intervention of God if you continue to live in the shadow of bitterness and resentment because of things that were done to you. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying that it isn't a real pain or a real scar, but I'm telling you the, the, the effect of Jesus Christ and his blood and his cross is enough to deliver you from whatever the past was if you'll allow him to. But you got to take the initiative to bring that to the altar and say, God, I'm done carrying this. I'm done letting this cloud my judgment. I'm done letting this fog of regret, letting this fog of anger block my view. I'm just going to, by faith, I'm going to forgive. Maybe it's just the initiative of reading your Bible. Man, this book's not just good on Sunday and Wednesday. Man, it's good all the time. Yeah. I, I really do love this. Every time I open it, God has something to say to me. And just go through the list. I'm done. Limited initiative opens the door 
to limitless intervention from God. But you're missing out on it if you're not willing to take it. God's not asking you to run a mile. Just take a step. Finish with, you know, the general, his name is escaping my mind right now. He had leprosy. Go, Naaman, Naaman. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I didn't graduate from Bible college. No, I'm just kidding. I did. <laughs> I didn't pay attention like I needed to. Naaman. No, Naaman's got leprosy. Elisha doesn't even come out. Like, go dip in the Jordan seven times. I thought he would clap. Man, it's going to be a party and strobe lights, and we're going to celebrate and blow trumpets. Man, I'll go, I'll go climb over a mountain. You see that mountain over there? I'll go climb over that mountain right now. And then one of his assistants like, hey, if he told you to do that, you'd do it. Why don't you just go take limited initiative? Just go dip in the water. And look at that limitless intervention that happens all over the place. So what about your life? You're like, it's not a big deal. Might be a big deal to God. Limited initiative opens the door to limitless intervention where God does what you can't. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.